Happy New Year and good morning, everybody. Um, so today there's not a set passage. We're going to take a, a walk through the book of Acts today as we talk about prayer. Um, so there's going to be a lot of Bible, but not a central Bible verse that we're going to be expounding this morning. And next week we'll continue on uh, on the verse by verse series, uh, continuing chapter five. So would you just uh, bow your heads and pray with me as we just to get started? Uh, Father, in this moment, we come before you as a body um, on this on the first of the year, coming to sing to you, to to praise you, to to recognize who you are. Father, in this moment, as we sang to you, Lord, we just pray that our hearts are softened to hear your word. I pray that you would use your word this morning to, to, to inspire us, to encourage us, uh, to, to help us, Lord, so that we may look more like Jesus, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your word would um, cause us to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. And I pray, Father, this morning for myself, uh, I just pray for a special unction uh, to proclaim your word this morning on the topic of prayer. Um, I pray, Lord, that this would not be a, a sermon that beats people down, but that it inspires them, Lord. Would you inspire your people to see you for who you really are, to be in awe of you, that, that would push us, Lord, to, to seek your face, Lord, not from a place of legalism, but from a place of delight and desire and a place that we have already been accepted through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So all of us have a spare tire in our car for just in case. In case there's a flat, in case there's a slow leak, we have the spare there. Most of the time, we don't even think about it. It's just there. It, we, it just pops up into our mind when something begins to go wrong. But when something does go wrong with your car, then, right, Miss Margaret? Uh, <laughs> we go back to the trunk. We get out the spare to get us out of a bad situation. And for most of us, prayer oftentimes is like that. It's a spare tire. It's a just-in-case. It's easy to forget about it until you really need to get out of a jam. But we're glad to have it, you know, to fix the dilemma. But for many of us, uh, prayer can often be like the national anthem before a football game. It gets the game started, but simply has no connection to what is happening on the field. It's a formality. It's a courtesy. Or for some of us, it's like putting four quarters in a vending machine. You push the button, but you don't get your candy. You don't get your Coke. You kick it. You shake it. But nothing comes out, so you just give up and you walk away because it you know, didn't accomplish what you wanted it to do. And we treat prayer like that. We just stop praying because God didn't answer our prayer. Nothing happens. And today, I just want to talk to you about prayer as we survey the book of Acts and look at how the early church modeled prayer. And with today being New Year's Day, it's a custom in our side of the world to, to have these New Year's resolutions or to, even for us to make prayer part of a, our normal routine, our normal rhythm. And if I'm honest, prayer is a struggle for me. Even I have a passion, conviction for prayer, but prayer can be a battle. Prayer is a struggle. And there are seasons in my life when I'm not consistent. You know, life gets busy. I get distracted. And next thing you know, my prayer life takes a hit. And I know I'm definitely not alone in this. And maybe, you know, we can blame technology. We can blame the rise of social media. 
But one thing today that we can do is learn from the early church when it comes to prayer. But one quick side note about prayer. Prayer is not treating God as a genie, just making, you know, you know, rubbing the genie lamp and making your wishes and, you know, that he's going to uh, answer your, your wishes. But prayer does not condition God. It conditions us. Prayer does not win God to our view. It just reveals God's view to us. And look what Tim Keller says about prayer. Prayer is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. So as we look at the book of Acts, we need to keep in mind that the book of Acts provides a recorded history of the vital role prayer played in the life of the disciples who were completely dependent on God. In fact, as we're going to see, uh, prayer precedes almost every major event in the book of Acts. So as we observe this book, we're going to look at three main ways prayer was vital to the early church. So number one, prayer, uh, the early church was devoted to prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. From the very beginning of the book, from the first two chapters, we can see that the early church was devoted to prayer. Two times in the first two chapters alone, it highlights this. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, after Peter preached, verses uh, Acts 2, 42 and 44 also says this, that, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. The verb translated as devoted uh, means to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of doing so despite difficulty. It implies that fervent prayer takes work. Their devotion uh, of the early church also manifested in their unity. Look at what the two verses say. It says that they held all things in common. They were of the same mind. They had one accord. And, and this idea means that they had a singular purpose. They were in union with one another. Their prayer united them. They were not divided. They were united because they were in prayer. And two times already, we, I, we see this idea of unity. Another aspect in the book of Acts that we see when it comes to their devotion to prayer was they set aside times for prayer. They were disciplined in their prayer. And one thing I don't want to overlook, because if I can kind of go on, it can make us look like they were like some super Christians, and we're not. But we have to keep in mind of their early Jewish context. So for the Jewish people, you know, they prioritized prayer. It was in their schedule to pray. They had set times and set days where they would pray and they would fast. It was already embedded in their rhythm of life. Jews were supposed to pray three times a day. Morning, afternoon, and evening, 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. They also fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. You know, they prioritize prayer so that it can be embedded in their daily rhythms. This is why in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John, they're headed to the temple at the hour of prayer. 
Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 6, when they get to, to Philippi, they go to the place of prayer, and then they encounter some women there. The early church had a devotion to prayer, and ironically, what we see in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 16 is that God strategically saved people through the preaching of the apostles at these places of prayer. At Acts chapter 3, what, what do we see? Uh, a miracle happened. They, they healed someone, which set the stage for Peter to preach and for people to respond. In Acts chapter 16, uh, it tells us that at this place of prayer, that the Lord opened up Lydia's heart so that she can understand and receive the gospel. All these things happened at the place of prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. A couple of months ago, um, you know, I was watching TV and I saw a commercial pop up on Netflix. It said that they're going to release a documentary called The Redeem Team. And the documentary highlights a point in time, a sad point in time when Team USA was not very good. They, they began to lose a lot. And they were the butt of a lot of jokes between 2004 all the way to 2008. Uh, and because of that, they, they kept getting the bronze medal. And, you know, for American standards, that's unacceptable. Anything less than gold is, is unacceptable for us as Americans when it comes to the sport of basketball. So what did they do? In 2008, they, they hired uh, Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski and Jerry Coangelo to, to change the culture and the narrative of Team USA. But one thing that stood out, one thing that they did is that they went and got Kobe Bryant uh, to join the team. And in the documentary, it highlights that they were in China for the Olympics and uh, they got a win and they were excited. The team was excited. So they all went out to celebrate. They went to the club to party. And LeBron and Dwayne Wade, they're all telling the story is that they went out to party. They're having the time of their life. They come back to the hotel at 4 a.m. and they're all standing together as a team waiting for the elevator door to open. And when they open up, Kobe's there in in a sweatsuit with his gym gloves, ready to go to the gym to work out. And they all looked at each other like, this is real? <laughs> this is, I thought they, people made this stuff up. Like they, they saw Kobe Bryant's devotion to the game of basketball. They saw his devotion to get better. And what happened, it inspired the team to, to say, you know what, let's not party. Let's not play any games. The next day, LeBron says, I joined Kobe at 4 a.m. You know, the next day, Carlos Boozer joined. By the end of the week, the whole entire team was at the gym with Kobe Bryant working out at 4 a.m. simply because they were inspired by his devotion. I say that because as we look at the early church and we look at their devotion to pray, it shouldn't make us feel bad. It should inspire us to pray. It should motivate us. It's not to put us to shame. Why? Because what we see is that the early church, they were just regular people like you and I. They sinned like you and I. They made mistakes like you and I. What we will see time and time again is that the early church still struggled with hypocrisy. They still struggled with even, um, I would say, ethnocentrism against Samaritans and Gentiles. They weren't perfect. But what we see is that they were devoted to prayer and they were dependent on God. And that should inspire us. So they were devoted themselves to prayer. But number two, the early church was spontaneous with their prayers. You know, they set aside prayers, they set aside times, and structured prayer is good. But one of the things I love about the early church is that they treated prayer as the first response and not as a last resort. 
And many times in the book of Acts, a situation arose that caused them to pray spontaneously in the moment. And I'm just going to highlight three situations that they prayed spontaneously. Number one, Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we see uh, a new deacon, Stephen. He's out sharing the gospel. And as he's sharing the gospel, the Jewish people get mad. And they stone him to death. And as they're stoning him, his response is to call to Jesus in prayer, asking Jesus to not hold their sin against them. He didn't want to fight against them. He didn't try to plead his case. He was like, Lord Jesus, please don't hold this against them. They're doing this in ignorance. Number two, in Acts chapter 12, we have a situation right after uh, James, the, uh, one of the sons of Zebedee, the brother of John, was killed. And it said the text says in Acts chapter 12 that it pleased the Jews that this happened. So what did Herod do? He arrested Peter. And when they arrested Peter, it made all the Jewish people happy. And Acts 12, chapter 5 says that, So as Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So while they were praying, Peter's arrested. The text shows us that Peter's in between two guards in chains. And as he is there asleep, an angel shows up and leads Peter to freedom. And he thinks, he's, he thinks he's having a dream. He's like, oh, man. He gets out, and he's like, oh, I thought I was dreaming. So then he just goes on to, to Mary's house, uh, John Mark's mother. And then when they get there, he knocks on the door. Uh, the servant girl, Rhoda, comes in, and she's like, who is it? And he's like, it's Peter. And she's like, what? <laughs> it's Peter. And in her excitement, she doesn't open the door. She goes back to the people and says, Peter's at the door. And they're like, Rhoda, you are out of your mind. You are nuts. Look, look at the te- Acts 12, 12. It says, when he realized this, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, mother, whose, na- whose other name is Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And, and then right there, it says that when they came out, they were amazed that, that they answered. One of the things that should be an encouragement to us is that even they were shocked that God answered their prayer that fast. Like, they were shocked. They were praying for Peter, and Peter's at the front door. Like, they're like, God, would you protect Peter? Would you release him? Knock. God, would you? Peter's at the door. <laughs> like, they were shocked. But one thing also to highlight is that God moves when his people pray. When the church comes together to pray fervently, God moves. God is a God who answers prayer, and that's an encouragement to us. As we pray together for these next 21 days, we can expect with faith that God is going to move. And number three, the third situation is in Acts 16. We have a a situation where Paul and Silas, they are out preaching the gospel, and they get beaten. They get, just for preaching, they they get beaten, they get stoned, and then they get sent into prison. And while in prison, look at verse 25. It says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Listen, we don't know what they prayed. We don't know what they were singing. The only thing the the text shows us is that God sent an earthquake, and it broke all the chains, and then right away it, it, it flustered the Roman guards 
that they wanted to kill themselves, but God ended up using that situation to, for the gospel to be preached to that Roman centurion, and then he turns and gets saved in Acts 16. These three situations just show us that there's purpose in prayer. The stoning of Stephen introduced us to Saul, who later becomes known as the Apostle Paul. Acts 12 shows us the power of intercession. There is power when other Christians pray, pray fervently for other people. I remember, I know there's some of us here that are probably here today because your mother was praying for you, your grandmother was praying for you. I know that was the case for me. There was, I kid you not, there'd be times where I would be out in the clubs, I'd come home high and drunk, and I would find my mother with oil anointing my pillows praying for me. And I know many times God has saved me out of some foolishness, simply not because of who I am, but simply because of the prayers of my mother. So I know that is the case for many of us here, that for praying grandmothers, praying moms, you are here today because your parents were praying for you. And if it wasn't a family member, it was probably a friend, a co-worker, because there's power when Christians pray for other people. God moves when his people pray. So the early church was devoted to prayer. They were spontaneous in their prayer. But number three, they were also specific with their prayers. One thing we can learn from the early church is that they prayed with specificity. They weren't vague with their prayers. Like when they pray, I don't know about you. Have you ever been in, in some type of church service and they said, uh, I, I feel in my spirit that it's going to rain today. And like, no, the weather channel told you it's going to rain. <laughs> or I'm going to just pray very vague general blessings over you. No, but the, the early church prayed with great specificity. And, the, and this, this is encouraging to us because we need to, you know, be specific with God when it comes to our requests or even when we're praying for other people. And what we're going to see in this sub point is five instances where the church was specific with their prayers. And the first situation is when they prayed for leadership selection. You know, it's a lot of verses here, so you can write these down. Acts 124, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, Acts 14, verse 23. These four instances show us that the apostles prayed uh, before choosing qualified men into leadership. Prayer proceeded before they selected anybody, before they took a vote, before anything, they prayed and asked God for guidance. In Acts 13, it says that the Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. In Acts 6, unity was at stake. They prayed and they said, get six men uh, of, get seven men of reputable character and so that the, the Greek widows won't be overlooked again. They prayed for leadership selection and they trusted the Lord to guide them to select the right people. The second situation is in Acts 4. We just covered this where, where they pray for boldness. Peter and John are just released from prison and what the first thing they do is they begin to worship. They pray and they say, God, you, the, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is a fulfillment of the nation's raging. They're going against your anointed. So because we know opposition is coming and it's going to intensify, give us boldness. Give us boldness so that we can continue to stand firm in opposition. Give us boldness so that we can continue to share the gospel. The third situation is where the apostles prayed for healing. 
Sure, there were times like in Acts chapter 3 where they didn't pray. They just healed on command in Jesus' name. But two times we see a situation where Peter and Paul pray specifically for the healing of someone. Acts chapter 9 verse 40 says, But Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So Peter, St. Peter, who said, I declare to you in Jesus' name, get up, take up your mat, and walk, is now the same Peter who still gets on his knees, trusting the Lord to bring healing for Tabitha. In Acts chapter 28, verse 8, Paul is in a house prison. You know, he's waiting to see Caesar. And it says that it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him and healed him. I know it's a funny name, but still, it's like the whole idea the apostles were dependent on God for prayer. They didn't work miracles by their own power. They knew that the power came from God. The fourth situation of the specific prayers in Acts chapter 8. The apostles prayed that the Samaritans may receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 tells us that Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel, and he did many signs and wonders, and as a, uh, as a response, they, they believed. But what's interesting in the text, it says, in Acts 8 verses 14 through 17, is that now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now you read that, and if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you're probably sending to yourself like, wait a minute, don't we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion? Like, doesn't the text say that when we believe we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, what is happening here? Why did they have to wait for Peter and John to lay their hands on them? Look at what a commentator says about this. It is not without justification that many refer to this as the Samaritan Pentecost. It is a major stage of salvation history. The Spirit, as it were, indicated in a visible manifestation the divine approval of the, this new missionary step beyond Judaism. Some would agree this as an indication of a rite of confirmation separate from and subsequent to baptism. Again, the evidence of Acts will not bear this reading of the practice of a later age back into the New Testament text, Peter and John's laying on of their hands is best seen as a gesture of apostolic solidarity and fellowship with the Samaritans. The receipt of the Spirit is above all God's answer to their prayer. The reason why this is so unique is if you know anything between the Jews and the Samaritans, there was some hostility between the two. And when the church in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans received the gospel, you can believe that they were suspicious. Like, wait a minute. We are God's chosen people. What do you mean the Samaritans are receiving the gospel now? And they needed a visible confirmation that the same experience that they had at Pentecost happened to the Samaritans as well. 
Look at what Peter says in Acts 11, recounting the same situation in Acts 10 with a house full of Gentiles of uh, Cornelius the, the Roman centurion. In Acts 11, Peter, responding to give justification to what happened to some Romans, to some Gentiles, says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is what I meant earlier when I said that the early church was not perfect. They still struggled with other people getting saved. It was easy for them to say, oh, Jewish people getting saved? No problem. We're God's chosen people. But the moment it stepped out to Samaria and the moment it stepped down to their oppressors, to Rome, they were like, wait a minute. It looks like God is in the business of saving everybody. So what does this mean for us? This is a tricky verse, right? Well, we should pray for those we love for, that aren't following the Lord or, or, or they're walking in rebellion, that God would just fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit. That God would fill those who are lost with the Holy Spirit, bring them to salvation so that they may walk in the Spirit. So what is the last specific way the apostles prayed? Well, it's related to the last situation, but it's for the lost to come to salvation. Paul, in Acts chapter 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. And as he's standing before King Agrippa, he shares his testimony, and then he shares the gospel. And he openly shares that he desires that everybody standing there will be just like him. And Agrippa asks him, asks him Paul, do you want me to believe what you're saying? And Acts 26, 29 says, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day would become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's prayer was that every person that heard the gospel would turn to salvation. That every person that would hear uh, his preaching would see Jesus for who he really is. He really wanted everybody to come to salvation. And that is our desire as Christians. We want people to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus and we want to make him known. But, our pr but prayer softens our heart towards lost people. Prayer makes us so soft that rather than condemning lost people, prayer pushes us to see them as humans made in the image of God and in need of salvation. So to recap, the five ways that they prayed with specificity. They prayed for their leaders. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for healing. Uh, they prayed for the outpouring of the Spirit. And they prayed for the lost. And those are the same things we can be praying for today. So to conclude, tomorrow we start day one of our 21-day prayer initiative. They say it takes 21 days to start a new habit. And what would happen in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our cities, in our church, if we truly made a habit of prayer? If prayer was really the first thing that we did and we prayed fervently and we treated prayer as a first response and not as a last resort, not as a formality, but truly seeking the Lord, knowing that this is really possible because Jesus made a way for us to be in right relationship with the Father. It is because of Jesus we can now see God as our Father. 
And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I beg you, come to Jesus. Only in Jesus will your prayers be heard. Only in Jesus will you see a true answer to prayer. Look at what Tim Keller says. Prayer is the way that all the things we believe in and that Christ has won for us actually become our strength. Prayer is the way that truth is worked into our heart to create new instincts, reflexes, and dispositions. It is only through prayer, if you're struggling, whether it's with eating or an addiction, it is only through prayer that you will have new instances to not burst out in anger. It is only through prayer that the Spirit is going to begin to work and give you new reflexes and dispositions. And the good news is if you are in Christ, and if you have surrendered your life to Him, God hears your prayers. God answers your prayers because you are in Jesus. This is encouraging news for us because the reason why God was working through the early church was because they were in Jesus. He answered their prayers and worked because they were just like you and I. They were genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And if he can do those things in the early church, he can still do it today. I remember early on in my walk with Christ, um, I was probably like a couple months saved in the church that I was attending. They started the new year, similar to us, with 21 days of prayer, but then they added the caveat of fasting as well. And during that journey of us praying together for 21 days and fasting together, uh, we had one, uh, a watch night. We called them vigils. And at this vigil, uh, we were praying for this family that was battling for years of infertility. And in that moment, you know, prompted by the Spirit, the pastor calls this family up, says, I feel led to pray for you guys. And I believe that within a year, you guys are going to have a son. And, you, and you're like, wait a minute, time out. This pastor has the audacity to just say it and no. And they prayed. Nine months later, they had a baby boy named Moses. And all because simply they were just believing. We're not going to, we don't know if God had it predestined that they were going to have a baby boy or maybe he was working. But one thing that was an encouraging to us in that church is that we were able to look back and point and say, we, we remember when we prayed for this family. And now they have a baby boy. They struggled for six years in their marriage. But now they have a baby boy. We see him. They named him Moses. And now it's like a testament that the same God who healed yesterday can still heal today if we just seek him in prayer. The book of Acts makes it very clear that something happens when God's people come together and they pray. This is encouraging because Scripture tells us that God does not change. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who worked through the prayers of the early church will work through our prayers as well. Let's pray.